0: well greetings church family i am honored and privileged to bring the word to you this weekend as we conclude our series on the journeys with joseph and yes this is the end of the book of the beginnings it's been 18 long and very unique months that we have worked through the book of genesis and i hope i can do it justice as we wrap up some loose ends and challenge our set our vision as we move forward into this new season As we do it, I want to start with a question. How many of you have ever run a race? Go all the way back to track and field day in school, three-legged race, reunions, you know, okay, got everybody there. Well, my husband, Tim, has run in many races, but his running career didn't start because of track or because of a love of exercise, but because of the necessity of getting to work. You see, Tim is one of nine kids, And nine kids born in 11 years makes for a very busy summer season for his family. So with all those places to go and job schedules to juggle, it was hard for anybody to consistently get a ride to work. Tim could often get a ride to work in the morning, but rarely got one home in the evening. And since home and work were about six miles away and running was faster than walking, he started running home from work six miles every day. Well, after a summer of nearly daily six-mile runs, he realized he had trained enough for a marathon, and so he ran a marathon that first fall. And that's when I met him, a marathon-running new boyfriend in college. Well, I was inspired by this then-boyfriend in college, and so I decided to run my own race, and I signed up for a three-mile race on a Saturday morning. I mean, three miles, come on, right? I was young, I was in shape, no problem. I took a very confident warm-up lap and started running when they hit the uh, buzzer. Well, unfortunately, I went out too fast. And my sprint turned into a slow jog, and then to a walk, and then the inevitable step up onto the sidewalk. I didn't finish that race. What was my mistake? Well, there were lots of them. But number 1 was I underestimated the task. I didn't consider what was what was required of me to run that race. And second, I didn't plan, I didn't plan and I didn't train. I'm not sure what I was thinking, but I didn't run, I didn't finish the the race. Well, I'm not sure if you can relate to my first race story, but the reality of not finishing a race is an experience shared by many in the Bible a professor of leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary, identified 800 leaders in the Bible. And those for whom we have enough information to analyze their life and calculate their finish, only a third finished well. Only one and three Bible leaders finished the race well. Now, you know some who didn't finish well. Israel's first king, Saul, he had all the right resume, but he didn't have the right spirit because he desired the approval of people more than the approval of God. King Solomon inherited a peaceful and united kingdom from his father, David, but because he sought the temporal pleasures of earth, even all his wisdom couldn't keep the kingdom from falling apart. And some of Jesus' earliest disciples turned away too because when they counted the cost, it turned up to be too high And they walked away. Well, Jesus was honest with them, and he's honest with us. This is what he says. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. The road may be narrow, and the way hard at times but it is the most rewarding journey we could ever be on. Amen. Amen. Because it's the only one that leads to life. It's totally worth it. And I want to stand along with those who did finish well, the Josephs and the Pauls, and I want to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. But that means I need to move out. I need a plan. And more than admire their outcomes, I need to adopt their training plan. But as I look at Joseph's life, i got to be honest, I don't want to live the same one he did. His life was full of twists and turns and real traumas. And yet through it all, he remained faithful. And so my question is, how did he do it? As we seek to understand that, will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, that is our heart's desire to finish well. My brothers and sisters who are here worshiping this weekend, Lord, our heart's desire is to not step up on the sidewalk, but to finish the race well. Will you teach us, Holy Spirit, how to do that? Will you enlighten our minds and our hearts? Lord, will you lead me through the scriptures in such a way that it's understandable and clear? Will you grant us all the miracle of listening and hearing so that we can absorb what your spirit wants to say to us in this place right now? Feed us, Lord, we ask. For we prayed in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So these last chapters in Genesis 48, 49, and 50 record the final events in Joseph's life as well as the final events in Jacob's life. And in it, we find the blessings over his sons and the prophecies he has for them. But before we look specifically at how Joseph finished, I want to go back to the portion of scripture that Pastor Allen has asked us to memorize this year. Since we're about halfway through 2021, I figure it's a good time for us to have a refresher. So if you haven't memorized it, you've got six more months. We can keep working together. And we're going to read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 together as a way to frame our understanding and give us a launching pad as we consider how Joseph finished well. Therefore, go ahead, join me. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Well, these verses highlight key elements that we can learn from as we desire to finish well. And they're elements that we can also identify in Joseph's life. And the first is this. Joseph reminds us that we are part of a bigger story. Joseph heard about Yahweh's call to Abraham, the establishment of the covenant, the promises of descendants who would outnumber the sands on the seashores and the stars in the sky. Joseph heard about the stories of God, and he witnessed God's faithful provision in his forefathers. He witnessed some of them come to fruition, but not all. But he still chose to live a life of faithfulness, resting in God's promises. He lived with a full expectation that all God's promises would come to pass in God's perfect time and in God's perfect way. He chose to believe by faith. And that foundation of faith is what allowed him at the end of his life to reference a promise he had not yet seen. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to your help and lead you out of this land to Egypt. He will bring you back to the land. He solemnly promised to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. We serve the same God that Joseph did. He is the living God. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful and always will be faithful. And that great crowd of witnesses that Joseph referenced and recognized he was a part of. Yes, they are the faithful who have gone before us, but they're also the ones who sit around us right now. For we are the witnesses of faith, of lives of faith, one to another. We need each other. That's one lesson we've all learned from the pandemic. No one thrives in isolation. In fact, I've heard someone say that isolation is the devil's best weapon. And he's caught some of us in its grasp. Because the Christian life wasn't meant to be lived alone. We need to invest in the community of faith because we grow stronger together. And in the fertile soil created by the lives of faith surrounding us, there is no telling where the Lord might take us. But he wants to take us there together as the body of Christ planted and rooted and bonded in community of faithfulness. There's a Jewish proverb that says this, For the ignorant, old age is as winter, but for the learned, it is a harvest. Maintaining an attitude of a learner is essential for our maturity. Did you know that the word for disciple can also be defined as an apprentice? So if you think of yourself as an apprentice of your master Jesus and show up every day eager to learn from him, you need to bring a teachable spirit. Joseph learned to be teachable. He had to learn over and over and over again to be teachable because he started at the bottom and had to go up and then was thrown back to the bottom. I mean, think about it. He went from a favored son to a slave in Egypt. He went from the head of Potiphar's household to a prisoner. Then he went from a forgotten prisoner all the way up to second in charge only to Pharaoh. And all along the way, Joseph was forced to learn a new language, a new culture, and a new way of life. And yet he walked faithfully, and he walked righteously, because he was a willing student. And along with his willing heart of a student, he brought another element. He brought a heart of humility, because Joseph's life reminds us that God honors the humble, Throughout his life, Joseph submitted to God, and he lived this truth from 1 Peter. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Do you remember Joseph's dreams? Do you remember how he saw the sun, moon, and stars bowing down to him, his brothers and his father bowing down to him? Well, with those in the background of his mind, it would have been tempting to try to manipulate the circumstances and force a fulfillment to ensure he was truly exalted above his brothers. But that's not what he chose. Instead, he lived by faith. So when his brothers came to Egypt seeking to buy bread, and they found themselves standing right in front of him, he refused to take matters into his own hands. Perhaps the best well-known part of Joseph's story is the exchange between Joseph and his brothers after their father Jacob died. You remember the scene in chapter 50? We've referenced it a number of times throughout our journey. And after Jacob died, fear crept into the brothers' hearts, thinking that Joseph would now feel free to release his anger on them for all the wrongdoing that they had done. So they sent word of their remorse, and they sent an apology. And this is how Joseph replied. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to care to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Joseph was in a position of power, and yet he used his power to reconcile. I think many in his position who had suffered as much as he had would have kept a memory of wrong. They would have opted for revenge instead of reconciliation. But because Joseph had practiced humility, because he had nurtured it, and because he looked through the lens of faith, he trusted God, and in that moment he was able to bear good fruit. Joseph understood that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And Joseph's willingness to submit to God put him in a position to receive God's favor. Another quality I see in Joseph's life that helped him finish well is this. Joseph refused to run with weights. Hebrews 12.1 exhorts us to strip off every weight. Why? Because extra weight will slow us down. Any runner knows that. But part of Joseph's strong finish was his refusal to pay his, to pay his pain forward. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't willing to allow the trauma of his past and the woundings he has suffered to be poured out on the next generation. And I see as an example of that the way he named his sons. Genesis 41, you remember this portion. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. Because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And the second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. You see, Joseph didn't deny his sufferings. He didn't deny his hardships. But he reframed them by looking through the lens of faith. And through faith, he recognized God's blessing and rejoiced in the gift of these two children. Throughout it all, Joseph maintained a soft heart. Remember the reunion with his brothers where he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him in the next room? Too often, our traumas and hardships and difficulties and sufferings create in us a a walled-off hardness, We retreat, we remove, and we quit engaging. And first we don't engage with our people, and then tragically we don't engage with our Lord. You think you're protecting yourself, and a hard heart might dull the pain for a while, but it will hinder your finish and it will steal your joy. Joseph shows us a real and honest emotion. He let himself feel, and then he let himself be healed. Look, it's been a hard year. Amen? Amen. Amen. People have taken sides surrounding all kinds of issues. We've traded love for labels, and it's taken a toll. There's still plenty of hurt to go around, but we in the church need to work out a different kind of relationship. We need to love better. We need to love boldly and we need to bring healing to the world, but we have to start with it here. So don't ignore the pain and grief. Take time to mourn, and that will be a precursor to healing. We have soul care classes. They'll start up again in the fall. If you need help walking through how to bring healing to your soul, we want to be a part of that journey together. But you have to engage, and you can't just come You gotta work it out, wrestle together. We wanna do it, we wanna model something different for the world, real healed relationships in our own hearts and then along with one another. That's the kind of weight we wanna let go of so we can run unencumbered. Well, there's another kind of weight the writer of Hebrews alerts us to and it's sin. Sin is serious business and it has consequences. And as we studied this family over the course of this last year, we can recognize many uh, family sin patterns. We've seen lying, favoritism, sexual immorality, and even murder. And Jacob's first three sons forfeited their rights and their blessing because of their sin. Jacob said this, "'Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength.' You are first in rank and first in power, but you are as unruly as a flood, and you will be first no longer. For you went to bed with my wife, you defiled my marriage couch. You see, Reuben was disqualified because of lust. And Simeon and Levi forfeited their place of honor because of their anger and violence. Simeon and Levi are two of a kind. Their weapons are instruments of violence. For in their anger, they murdered men and they crippled oxen just for sport. Now hear me, there's always forgiveness, always forgiveness. But even in forgiveness, God doesn't always shield us from the natural outcomes caused by our sin. These brothers, along with the others, still inherited the land. God was faithful to his covenant he had established, but they forfeited their blessing because of their sin. Sin is a weight. It encumbers us, and it'll mess up your finish. So Joseph and the fourth-born son, Judah, received the blessings that the older brothers did not. But you may be thinking, why Judah? Well, he was a part of the plan to get rid of Joseph. And then he sinned again in his relationship with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Why wasn't he disqualified? Well, the Bible doesn't say it explicitly, but I see evidence of repentance in Judah's life. Remember when the brothers stood before Joseph in Egypt? It was Judah who served as spokesman for the family. He was the one who offered to take Benjamin's place, even to serve as a slave in Egypt to ensure that Benjamin would have a safe return to their father Jacob. You see, there's evidence of change in Judah's life he turned from his previous manner of behavior and he acted differently than he had before. And once he turned on that road, he stayed on that road and his life bore out the witness of his change. Because repentance is more than saying you're sorry. That's remorse and it's an important first step. But true repentance requires a turn. It requires remorse and then it requires you don't return to that same sin pattern. But you stop and go the other direction. That's really throwing off the weight of sin. And for Judah, repentance was a gateway to blessing. Because look at what Jacob pronounced over his fourth-born son. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. Well, this word of prophecy spoken over Judah found its fulfillment in Jesus himself because Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. What an honor. And what a moment the right decision in Judah's life made to turn. Can you imagine the blessing we might receive for the same kind of decision to turn? Now, if you remember a few weeks back, Pastor George unpacked a key element in our own spiritual transformation And it's something we also see in Joseph's life, endurance. Because Joseph embraced endurance. Hebrews 12 says this, Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So how do you run with endurance? Well, before you run with endurance, you want to run the race that God has set out for you. You have to run your race. You can't run somebody else's. Just unfortunately, you can order your dinner on DoorDash and you can do curbside pickup for Chick-fil-A, everybody's favorite, but you can't order your spiritual life on Amazon. You just can't. And you can't sit really close to a godly person or have a godly mother or a godly husband or best friend and, allow, and want their spiritual life to rub off on you. It just doesn't work that way. The way to build physical endurance is with practice and repetition. If you're a runner, to finish the race faster, you train by increasing the number of miles or the pace of those miles. And you build spiritual endurance in much the same way, repetition and practice. Spiritual disciplines are the way disciples of Christ increase their spiritual strength and capacity. And if you want some advice and training on how to do that, you're in luck, because Pastor Allen is going to start a series on spiritual disciplines called CrossFit next week. So stay tuned as he coaches us for ways to increase our own spiritual muscle and build a stronger infrastructure. so we can go further, we can run faster, and we can finish well. But there's another way the Lord builds endurance in us, and it's a way nobody wants to pick. But the scriptures are clear. The Lord builds endurance in us through trials. Let's be real and honest. Who's going through a trial? I got a few hands, but I got to tell you, statistics say that in any given congregation, 50 peop- 50% of the people are in a crisis. So we had about 10% raise their hand. The rest of y'all, you are in a crisis. No, I'm teasing. Look, the book of James calls us to respond to trials with great joy, and that is not my normal response. In fact, one writer suggested to respond with great joy to a trial as as if we're welcoming the trial in as a friend, and we're inviting them to take a place at the table. That is not the kind of dinner guest I'm after. Look, I don't know what you're facing today, and I don't want to be simplistic But Joseph shows us that to finish well means to trust God in our trials because he promises to use our trials as instruments of transformation. But we have to remain soft-hearted in the midst and we have to look through the lens of faith and then we'll receive what Paul said to the Corinthians. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. All the trials of this life are light and momentary compared with what we will receive when we go home. God teaches us lessons in trial that far exceed anything we can learn in seasons of ease, and he knows that. But to learn well, we must remain soft-hearted to receive. And finally, I see this in Joseph's life, this way to finish well. Joseph fixed his focus on God. He waited on God. He watched for God. He maintained a patient trust. And he believed God was active and at work in even the most difficult situations he faced. And he never took away his gaze from God. He refused to focus on his circumstances Do you remember Peter's mistake? What went wrong when Jesus asked Peter to get out of the boat and come to him on the water? What caused him to sink? He took his eyes off Jesus, and he looked at the waves. We all do that, don't we? We look at the waves. Well, you might have heard this before. It's a kind of trite little saying. It's this, for every one look you give your problem, you need to give your Savior three looks you got to maintain that one to three ratio, a passing glance at your difficulty and a steady gaze at the Savior. It might sound trite, but it's true, because a focus on Jesus will change your perspective, and rather than seeing your problem, you'll see a God who is active and good and able to do more and better than we could ever ask or imagine. I attended a conference recently for pastors and counselors led by a psychiatrist, Dr. Kurt Thompson, he's also a man of deep faith. And the conference focused on the impact of the pandemic on our mental and emotional health. And he made this key statement. He said this, we become what we pay attention to. We become what we pay attention to. So what are you paying attention to? What fills your mind? Do a little thought check. Where does your head go in the quiet? Well, it's evident what Joseph paid attention to. He paid attention to God. He watched for him. He waited for him. He submitted to him, and he served him, even when no one else was looking. But God was watching, and God is a rewarder. Friends, we need to train like Joseph, not just so we can finish well, but but so we can become more like Jesus. He's the one who has initiated our faith, and he is the one who goes before us. Joseph lived an extraordinary life, and we admire him because of all he overcame. But we can't overlook God's providential hand over Joseph's the entire time. He led, he watched, and he cared for. Well, let me tell you, God is leading, watching, and caring for you and for me because he is a God who has never changed and never will. He is with us. He is all-powerful, and he is able. He loves you, and he wants to meet you where you are, but he doesn't want to let you stay there. He wants you to move forward in your race, unencumbered, so you can finish well. Run with endurance and perseverance, in wholeness of heart, and in the joy that our Lord showed us when he disregarded the shame of the cross because he knew the outcome. We need to look over, over, the out, over to the outcomes as we continue to persevere. God will never leave us. He'll never abandon us. And he's asking us to press on in faith, believing he is who he says he is and that he's waiting for us at the end. So how did Joseph do it? How can we do it? What began, Joseph remembered he wasn't alone. And neither are we. We need to drop the weights, the emotional baggage and the sin. The pride, leave the pride behind and put on humility. To finish well, you need to run your race with endurance. Don't look to somebody else to run your race for you. You can't outsource your spiritual life. Engage with the race and run. Reject the noisy voices of the world and listen instead for the voice of the Holy Spirit. He is your advocate. He is your encourager. And he's the best running coach we could ever have. And fix your eyes on Jesus. Lock them in. Pay attention to him the most. Watch for him. Expect him. And be blessed when he comes. We opened with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and I want to close with it too. Will you read it with me again? And this time I want you to make it your own. And use Joseph's story to help you understand those key elements so you too can run with endurance. Therefore... Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the enlightenment of your word. And I pray now, Lord, that whatever lap we are on, whatever mile marker we've passed in our own journeys of faith, that you would help us press on. I pray that you would help us truly run with endurance and finish strong like Joseph did, that we might receive your affirmation of well done, good and faithful servant when we see you face to face. I pray that you would bind us together as a community of faith, that we wouldn't let anyone lag behind. And I pray, Father, that you would move us with determination and that we would engage and that we would be your people, blessed with your presence and your purpose. And so, Father, complete your calling in each one of our lives and minister to us, Lord, that we might have overflow to minister to others. Empower us by your spirit, for we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.